0: Welcome back to the Unstressable podcast. I'm your host Alice Law and this podcast is a series of amazing conversations with incredible people talking about what makes them unstressable from some of life's greatest challenges and the greatest stresses and losses they've had to overcome and how they came back from them so that you can become unstressable through yours. It's been a little while since I've released some podcast episodes, so I'm very excited to bring you this new season, but I'd also like to share with you the reason why I've had such a break. I've been working on an amazing project with a former guest of the Unstressable podcast, the wonderful Mo Gaudat. Mo and I have been writing a book together, Unstressable, which will be coming out later this year. But on top of that, because of the work we've done in the book, we wanted to create something else to go with it. We've been working behind the scenes to create an amazing membership platform called unstressable.com which is based on all the teachings of our book and so much more. We have an amazing community of people so far and every month we share brand new content of guided Reiki meditations, video trainings, live webinar sessions hosted by myself and Mo together, guest expert sessions, journal prompts as well as an amazing community space on an app where we share daily tips and tricks to keep you stress-free, and you can connect to us and your fellow members outside of session. If you'd like to become a part of this community, we'd like to give you the opportunity to try it out totally for free for one month. Simply use the code Podcast and go to www.unstressable.com and input Podcast at the checkout for the monthly subscription. We can't wait to see you there. My guest today is truly remarkable. It's the amazing Ra Goddess. Ra is an international cultural innovator, social impact strategist, and creative change agent. She works with leaders and organizations to realign their missions in ways that are more purposeful, profitable, and impactful. She's a best-selling author. She is the CEO of her company, Move the Crowd, And she's just someone who, honestly, when you're in a room with her, she just fills it with wisdom. I had the honor of meeting her at a mastermind retreat in Los Angeles three years ago when she hosted a workshop for the group that I was in. And I was completely in awe of her presence and her wisdom. So I was so grateful that she could come on the podcast today, share all her incredible inspiration, stories, tips, wisdom, tricks. You're just going to love her and this episode. So I hope that you enjoy Well, Ra, thank you so, so much for joining today. I'm so excited to have you as a guest. Um, As I said, I mean, I once met you a few years ago in LA when you took an amazing class at this retreat I was on, but I read your book and followed your work since then. And it really is such an honor to have you. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Alice, for having me. It's my joy to be here.
0: So, I mean, okay, where to begin, really? (laughs) It's that that thing with you. So I'd love for you to explain to the listeners just a bit about your own journey. So, you know, you were a struggling artist to now being a huge CEO and change maker. How, what was that journey from you going from that point of, you know, really struggling to huge success and happiness?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, for me, you know, in my roots are being, a change of life baby born into what I call the intersection of civil rights and hip hop. my parents were born in the 1920s um, and survived two decades of Jim Crow segregation in the United States. And so that was very formative for me in terms of the the values that they instilled of family and community and education. Um, And, you know, I watched them even with the best intentions struggle you know, so my joke was like, you know, we were we were big on change, but short on dollars, you know, <laughs> um, and went the path of many in terms of wanting to be more per was driven in the sense of community and organizing and my activism. And um, my joke is that I signed up for the poverty trifecta. You know, I was, <laughs> I wanted to be creative and artist. I wanted to be an activist. And then I wanted to be a person of God. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, okay, four, 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 right? four again. Um, and, you know, where I believed and felt that my parents were very rich in values um, and what they cared about and in walking the talk of what they cared about, I think that there was a way in which the in traditional indoctrination around race in our society robbed them of the belief that they could be successful mm-hmm. in terms of the societal standards of success. That there was on um, some level always would be a way in which they would have to buck the system or fight the system and would never get their due. And um, And I think so much of that inherited messaging for many years. And, and if we're honest, Alice, right, ways it was reinforced in our larger community, right, I think created um, significant challenge and struggle. Um, and uh, what's, I think, at the core of of what has been the hardest part of the, the sort of the transformation has been grappling with this feeling of belonging. Mm-hmm. And even if I look at the beloved souls that I have the privilege to work with now and every day, you know what I mean? Like, no matter where we live on the continuum, no matter what our histories, our stories, our cultural um, journeys have been, our orientations are, this piece around belonging you know, do I have a right to exist? you know, um, and is who I am okay, I think are all of the things that we've, we navigate. And so I don't feel like I was any different than that so much of what I've had to heal and transform. And is that it's, it's okay to be me, my sense of self and and learning how to love that self and honor that self and care for that self and respect that self and invite others to respect that self, you know. (laughs) And so I think that's been the core um, of what has enabled me to then achieve the kind of success that I have as an entrepreneurial soul coach and artist and change maker. Um, Because I've finally been willing to believe that I'm at and willing to show up in alignment of what uh, I think has been my divine appointment and destiny and Um, and deliver in relationship to that appointment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I think that's such a good point. Like you say, just the word belonging, like the amount of people, you know, I think everyone in the world has felt at some point, oh my God, do I belong? Where do I belong? Who am I? All these questions, whether you're willing to say them out loud or whether you just think them for a second yourself, it's definitely an ongoing collective theme of you know humanity I think um but yeah, I'd love to love to come back to that more when we go through all the other <laughs> the other wonderful things I want to ask you for pearls of wisdom <laughs> but um before we go down that route so for you at the beginning of that journey was that a stressful time for you did you find that you were in stress oh, incredibly so
1: yeah I mean I think there on the one hand there was a um sense of the way that the world was and kind of what I needed to do in order to survive and thrive doing battle with the world I wanted to have and person I wanted to be. And I think, um, you know, certainly for me in the time that I came up, you know, um, we didn't see the kind of diversity celebrated that we see now. And many people would argue we still have a long way to go, right? Okay. Um, we didn't feel the level of permission that I think on some level we feel now. And again, you know, um, it's all relative. I'm clear, you all. But, you know, I think for for me, you know, twenty. 20- 30 years ago, I didn't I didn't feel the same kind of liberation or sense or permission. And so I think it felt very stressful because it was sort of like, you know, can I really have this? Am I really entitled to this? Does my history or an arbitrary identity that somehow society determines is not the mainstream or is not the desired look, yeah. <laughs> does that get to dictate what is possible or not possible for me? And so You know, a lot of what fueled me, and and I think it really comes from the narrative implanted by my parents, was that we always looked to people who were defying the odds. And I think in many ways, those models served as incredible inspiration, but they also served as a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Because in that sense, what we were saying is that in your day-to-day existence, it's a fight. (laughs) and you know what it means to put your nervous system in a situation where you're always fighting. You know, the nervous system never gets the opportunity to reset. It never gets the sense to, to calm itself. There is never a clear sense of safety. And, um, and I know that even for myself, that there was a point in my journey where I looked up and realized that so much of my baseline, my energetic, emotional baseline was in fear mm-hmm. and survival. And it was like, okay, how do I begin to take my body and my mind and my spirit out of survival and into, you know, I know people call it thrival or, you know, or just, or just even peace for me. It was kind of like, can I get to peace? Um, and so, you know, I think the, um, the recognition of just how much stress I was under both in in sort of feeling that sense of being under attack on some levels, right, as well as this pressure to want to make things better, not just for myself, but for others, I think created a really um, very unstable foundation to try to build, you know, a life or anything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Would you say then... Obviously, that was a very stressful and unstable time for you. Like you say, always in that fear mode. Um, what is the greatest stress or loss that you've personally been through and had to come back from?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, I can certainly go to the loss of of my mother and just people who've been very, very close to me. Um, but if I take it a layer deeper, I think it is the loss of the sense of self, that the, that the beginning of sort of my own coming into the realization of myself and the feeling that something was wrong or off or flawed or not OK, I think is the thing that I will probably always be working on on some level. Do you know what I mean? To feel yeah. a sense of true inherent peace and okayness and aliveness and love and appreciation at the very, very core without having to do or prove or mean or, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing, at least for me. And I feel like, um, probably no mistake here, that's the thing I, I feel that I'm working to help heal in others as well, you know, Just to mm-hmm. hold the space for the belief that the fullness and the truth of who they really are is more than enough yeah and it's more than okay
0: i love it because you talk about in your book which is amazing if anyone hasn't read ross book it's so so good i'm gonna put it in the in the show notes but you you talk about in the calling you know um what it means to stay true to yourself so for well, those listening, what do you believe it actually means to say to you to true to yourself? I think obviously these days a lot of people actually don't have any clue who they are half the time. So how do they come now, back to that truth? You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the first thing we have to do, every single one of us, is create room and space to cultivate a divine relationship with ourselves you know, it's really the only relationship we're having. You know, we may be in marriages, we may be in work relationships, and we really think it's all about the other person. But the degree and the quality to which those relationships are vibrant and thriving has to do with the degree to which we um, are in communion with ourselves when we're in those environments and when we're in those interactions. And I think that we don't carve times for it. I don't think we create space for it. And so I think the first thing is, is actually literally carving time to start to cultivate a relationship. And in the work, and I talk about this in The Calling, in the first sections of the book, there's a series of questions I take people through, which just, you know, the first one is like, what's important to you? What really, really matters? All right, and then the second question is, you know, what are you here to offer? What are you here to bring to the world? And then the third question is, what is it that you want to affect? What is it that you want to contribute to shifting, changing, imagining, or transforming, right? And then obviously integral and foundational to all of those questions is just the who are you? And having room and space to ask the question and then listen. I think typically when we get asked the question, who are you immediately, what comes up is I'm a daughter, I'm a mom. You know, in other words, we, we list off the roles we play, or we list off the major accomplishments on the resume or right all of the things that um, we have been taught to believe matter in the external world in terms of proving our credibility and worthiness to exist. But really, At a soul level, when we ask the question, who are you, there are qualities, there are essences, there are attributes that are innately ours, that they came in with us, that they're present in the room, whether we're saying anything or not, or doing anything or not doing anything. And our ability to carve that time and space to get to know who that person is. And then to engage that person in that question, those three questions, right, um, is, is the work of staying true. And I think it's a practice, Alice, right? Like, I don't think we do it once we're done, we're clear. <laughs> we got all the answers. Let's take it to the streets, y'all. Um, every single day, I'm up in silence, in meditation, in stillness, revisiting those questions on some level. As I think about how I want to show up, in my life,
0: in any given moment. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, like you say, just asking that question, you know, who are you? Because so many people, like you said, would answer with those labels. But if there's the sort of really funny part about that is like, well, okay, if there's over seven billion people in the world, and everyone answered with some form of label that's very similar to one another, we'd all be exactly the same. And as we know, we are completely different. So... It's really about going, like you say, to that that soul essence and really understanding who you are if none of that existed, right? Just going past all that. Um, So when you think of uh, your purpose, okay, so that soul has that one purpose. I believe that we all have a purpose and, you know, our own unique gifts. And you talk about the concept of Dharma, um, which I'd love for you to explain for the listeners because I think it's um, sometimes also sometimes confuse a karma which it's not just to be clear yes, <laughs> yeah. what dharma is and how you can sort of explain that and how we can start to understand how to follow our own yeah I think
1: when when we've traditionally heard the word dharma and, and you know it exists in the Sikh and Hindi traditions um you know, we've heard sacred duty, we've heard vocation, and we've heard the orderly path, we've heard the way of life, we've heard your destiny, all of these sort of things that are about um, pathway. And part of the part of Dharma and the definition of Dharma that we don't hear a lot about and we don't talk a lot about is your true nature. So I began with talking about this part of you that is not about the labels, this part of you that that is truly about the qualities and the attributes of your soul. You know, the beloved Dr. Wayne Dyer, may he rest in Mm -hmm. peace, used to call it your I am essence. (laughs) You know, it is that that part of you that just is and it vibrates at a particular frequency and it has very specific qualities and attributes that are integral to who you are. And when we speak about, and I in the book particularly speak about Dharma in our work at Move the Crowd, it is really about your true nature expressed as your highest contribution. And that there actually is a direct correlation that the more of ourselves we become, the more naturally and innately we begin to express in alignment with what it is that we're here to offer and bring to the world. And so the work of of Dharma for us is about realigning that, right? Recognizing, owning, claiming, embracing, and expressing more of who you truly are in service to what it is that you're here to offer and bring and give to the world. And that those two are inextricably linked and connected. And that actually when we're in it, When we're honoring it, what we're here to do comes so naturally and so easily to us that we would almost have to force ourselves not to do (laughs) what it is that we're here to do. You know, right now, it's like, oh, man, I got to fight to get to my calling. You know, I got to struggle to get to my purpose. And the truth is, the more that we come home to ourselves, the more that those things naturally begin to emanate as wants and needs and desires from us
0: yeah I think that's such a lovely way of putting it and I um I truly believe that I mean I was saying to you it's no secret to listeners that I'm I'm bringing out a book later this year and the ease of how that happened and who I'm writing it with was like it was effortless it made no sense logically that we're writing a book together and it was like I said through a podcast but I truly believe it's because I'm doing the thing that I'm meant to be doing you know so It's uh, like you say, that kind of that flow, that just ease of being like, okay, this is the right thing clearly, because I'm not struggling to create that then. Um, So, yeah, I love that concept though of Dharma. I mean, what would you say then to people who, because I think a lot of the blocks that people naturally come up against, which I hear people say is like, oh, I'd love to do this, but I need to pay my bills. I'd love to do this, but I'm not going to make any money. I've got a really secure job and I can't give that up. Yes, and that's the yes. common
1: narrative, right? Do you find Common it? narrative. Yes, no question. And I mean, I describe it in the book as sort of the number one reason why people often say they can't. It's, I got to pay the rent. And we've been at a very, very deep level indoctrinated as a global human family. We've been indoctrinated to believe that we have to trade. There has to be that negotiation. In other words, in order to survive, You must do things that you do not want to do, right, in order to make it. And that you, responding to your passion, you responding to your purpose, you responding to the other things that pull on your time, your energy, your effort, your attention, your soul, your heart, are luxuries, (laughs) right, are luxuries. And this is the way that we've oriented our world. Yeah. And part of what we've gotta be willing to do is is to challenge that and really be willing to say that actually maybe something else is possible if I align with what I really wanna do and I'm willing to create time and space to figure it out in terms of how I then how that then becomes something I offer. And I give to the world and I and organize it in a way where I'm actually able to share it. And there are people who it attracts and magnetizes who are willing to invest in it. That actually that exchange and the commitment to that exchange can produce another kind of success that could be beyond what we imagine. The believing that that is true. Because right? this is the conversation of alignment. Right. And, and I talk about this again in the call that, that success is a function of alignment. And what that means is when we are in alignment with our vision and our mission and our purpose and we are showing up in our full self and we are making our highest contribution, that we magnetize the opportunities, the collaborators, as in the case of your book. Right. The you know, the the actors, the all of the the beautiful blessings that enable us to make manifest whatever it is that we want to manifest. But we've got to be willing to be open to the possibility that it isn't going to require painful sacrifice. Mm. And that's the conditioning that has to shift. You know, and that, and that again, is a practice, right? Because I can say that. So we can both go, yes, of course. <laughs> but then the person's going to say to you tomorrow, well, okay, so here's my bill. How am I going to pay it, Right. And we put that pressure and that sense of disbelief immediately on it because, again, we've gotten so many messages that tell us that it's not possible. And so part of our activism, part of our awakening, part of our willingness to reclaim our power is to actually be willing to consider that it is possible to do what we love. And as a matter of fact, that if we lean into what we love with all of our heart and if we allow our effort and our highest commitment to align with that, that will actually achieve a kind of success that would never be possible in, in any other way.
0: Mm. Why do you think? Because I think it's really interesting what you said. Like you say, that message is all around us because it's everywhere. It's it's literally in your face the entire time. Whether it's from someone who doesn't believe what you're about to do and is throwing it, you know, back at you in words, being like, "Oh, don't be stupid." You know, you need to pay your bills, or you can't quit your job, or um, or whether it's just the message from the world, which it really is. It's, why do you believe, you know, that the message from the greater message, as in, you know, that's always there, not the truth, but the greater message of the world is, you know, that's hard. Stay powerless, essentially.
1: Yeah, that's so, it's it, so great you used the term powerless because I was going to say to you that this is about power. This It is about power and this is about systems and structures that benefit from you being disempowered. And that's a hard one to take on, right? Because, you know, for me, this is not like I'm not selling you a conspiracy theory. I'm not, you know what I mean? This is not about, but it is about understanding historically that we do live in societal structures that have been rooted in a particular definition of power that is rooted in dominance and control. That is the more things that we own, the more things that we can manipulate, the more power we are and we're awakening and recognizing that, that 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 can't be the only definition of power and as a matter of fact we would even challenge whether or not that's power right because as we watch the structures of our economy which have crumbled three times in the last 20 years you know again we can point to all of the signs um, we also know inherently in our spirits that this is this can't be working like are we really committed to a society where only 1% of us gets to thrive, mm. right? And that the, the 99% struggle and toil to support the success of the 1%. I don't think anybody's consciously like, yeah, this is what we're signing on for, but this is unfortunately what we have been indoctrinated to participate in. And so our work is about really questioning. Like, is that? do I really believe that that is the truth? And does that belief empower me? Part two of that is really important. Does that belief empower me? Does that belief grow my capacity to be able to show up in ways that feel consistent with the vision I have for my life and the vision I have for my children, right? And so I think our opportunity to challenge and our opportunity to question is integral to our ability to really then start To go, maybe my purpose doesn't have to be this thing I'm holding over on the side with the one day Sunday (laughs) banner or on the one day Sunday shelf. But that maybe my purpose is something that actually can be more integral to my day to day. And I can believe that if I've got more meaning, that I've got more capacity to attract and deliver on this vision, a different kind of vision for success and a different
0: kind of power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Just redefining what you actually think your success could be. So, I mean, how do you what would you say to people who say, OK, yeah, raw, this is great, but how on earth do I find my purpose? And, you know, that whole term, even purpose, they find really hard to get to grips with, you know. It's yeah. kind often put aside in a sort of like spiritual woo-woo box now, the term purpose, which I find really strange because I find purpose such a strong word and we all want to have a sense of purpose in our days, let alone our lives. So it's <laughs> it's funny that, yeah. that, that gets a bad rep It's crazy. Right.
1: But I almost feel like for some of us who we feel like we're struggling, we may have to start small. You know, my experience has been when people come to me and they go, Right, oh, I can't find my purpose. My experience has been it's not that they are not able to identify what it is that they're passionate about. They have not given themselves permission to believe that they can pursue it mm-hmm. and be good. <laughs> so I just want to say that out loud, right? Because yeah. it, comes, it brings us back to the indoctrination, right? The indoctrination is so deep. But let's stay in, in, this, in this exploration. Let's just say, okay, I've looked... You know, my joke is I've looked in the laundry basket. I've looked at the bottom of my sock drawer. I cannot find my purpose. Where, where the <laughs> heck is it, right? It, that it also shows up in moment to moment. You know, there's big P and there's little P, right? Like there's big C and there's little C. So sometimes in a moment, it's about, can I be purposeful about the way that I'm talking to my daughter right now? Can I be purposeful or intentional about the way I'm organizing this presentation and work. Can I be purposeful or intentional or mindful or guided in the way in which I'm supporting, organizing my team members or my coworkers around a specific initiative or plan that we're doing? And so that in every single moment, we are guided. We are guided. We are given cues that align with the truth of our spirit and this practice of listening and showing up. You know, it's why I say when people always ask me, what's the first thing you need to do to get your purpose, sit down, get still (laughs) because part of your stillness, part of your willingness to sit in quiet and connect with yourself is about your ability to start to actually listen to and feel the subtle body messages And the intuitive guidance that is moving through you all the time, and it's everything from oh I'm hungry, let me go in the kitchen and make a sandwich to wow I should go call my mother right now to you know, and we hold those things as like oh that's random or we think you know what I mean right? Like Mm -hmm. we create all kinds of excuses about it, but that's your purpose moving. That's your purpose moving through you in every given moment, and. Our ability to grow that and deepen our relationship and connection to that inner guidance, that wisdom, that wise way that often is helping us discern left, right, up, down, is also our purpose in action and moving. So even if you can't find the big P, you have the opportunity to start to pay attention to, well, what's the little P? (laughs) yeah right or the big call you start into the little call where are you what are you being called to do right now oh I need to have a conversation with my husband or oh I need to talk to my partner or oh I need to right fill in the blank but those urges and impulses when they're grounded are coming from something deeper than just your mood
0: <laughs> mm. I love that I, there's something you said in there that really made me think of this uh, study I was reading the other day about how They've found that actually for every, so for children, every year of their life, all they need is one minute of purposeful interaction and conversation with the parent to get what they need. So like one minute for a one-year-old, two minutes for a two-year-old, which sounds so little, but it's because we're so used to having these conversations with people where we're not actually properly paying attention or we're checking our phone or we're looking at the other child or, what you know, just various things. So I was like blown away by that, but I was like, God, it actually makes so much sense. So it kind of comes back to like what you're saying about actually being purposeful in all your tiny little interactions, yeah. so whether it's, you know, making your cup of tea. or <laughs> <laughs> cool.
1: yeah, It's the practice not. of being present, mm. the practice of being here, not in our heads or on our phones or in our to-do list. It's exactly what you're saying. And that that is actually a practice for us. I remember somebody asked me one day, what is the biggest enemy to your purpose? And I said, oh, that's easy. Distraction. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which we are all so driven to distraction. And I'll share a little, little story because um, it, it happens to me often <laughs> <laughs> where I am sitting in my office and I may say, OK, I'm going to go into the kitchen and I want to, you know, I'm going to grab a cup of tea and come back. I'm working on a whatever, a, a book proposal or whatever I may be working on at the given time, a talk or whatever. And I go into the kitchen and the middle of the to the middle of the kitchen. I see something that's out of place and I'm like, well, let me just shift that plant or wow, you know, that plant needs a little bit of water and actually, you know, maybe I should move it into the sun and, you know, and then I'm like, oh man, and then that rug's twisted and you know what I mean? And 20 minutes later, the cup of tea is forgotten. (laughs) Whatever I was doing in my office (laughs) abandoned, y'all hear what I'm saying? And it happens that easily. It happens that easily to all of us, even with the best intention. And so, our commitment to our practices that keep us grounded, that keep us connected to our own life force and our own soul and our own center of gravity, and then that keep us connected to the things that we say are important and matter to
0: us is everything yeah I love that it's so true I think so many people can relate to what you just said (laughs) especially for those that work at home I mean I do and then you've suddenly just that you've got something that's distracted you in your bedroom you're like why am I in here this is ridiculous yes (laughs) so easily done so easily done Uh, I love that (laughs) so I love um you know you talked about in your book as well that concept obviously of fear and love and you know I've Read the Course of Miracles, and I, I love that. What you know, they say in that is that um, we're only ever acting out of two places: fear or love. Yeah. And I think people can find that really hard to come to terms of when they first read it, because they're like, "Well, how can that be the only two places?" You know, but there's so many more layers that go on top of those two things, right? But yeah. that's the real essence. So, how do you sort of, how do you yourself decide whether you're acting from fear or acting from love?
1: Mm-hmm. I've learned over time to really listen to my body. And when I'm in fear, there's a certain way that my chest gets tight. Uh, There's a kind of uneasiness I feel in the base of my spine. And sometimes there's even a little quaking going on. And it's taken me years to get present at this really very sensitive level. And I would say that I'm still practicing, right? Alice? like, I've seen, again, it's one of those things I think you just practice over time. Um, but it is, it's interesting in that I think for so many of us, it doesn't happen logically. Like it's not typically the first place where he goes, Oh, ding, ding, I'm operating in fear. There's something bodily that often happens, something more visible, something more primal something more elemental that we feel that translates to our body's uh, articulation of fear and I think, or love, right? And I think our ability to tap into and touch into the body is another beautiful barometer for what's going on. And so for me, my first place that I go is my body. Like, okay, how am I feeling about this? You know, if I also sometimes, if I feel a kind of a grasping, or clasping kind of energy, or a sense of desperation, or deep concern, or worry, it's like, oh, fear, that is 100% fear, you know, right, and then often my body, when I, as soon as I say it often to myself, then the sensations get even more heightened, It's like, oh, right, okay, that's what's going on, and so having my body is that first place that I tune in, the second thing I will notice is that my mind—if I'm in fear—my mind is noisy. I'm saying a lot of things inside y'all. I'm having a lot of internal conversation. Well, what if they do that? What if that? But how complicated? And you know, and I didn't like that. And it, 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 it. Like, whoa, y'all! It's like in stereo times ten. that I know, okay, I'm afraid, you know, and I have to kind of come back. When I'm in love, there's a weightiness, there's a groundedness, there's a sense of kind of gravitas to my energy where I feel really rooted, whether I'm seating or I'm standing, I feel weighted to the ground. And then there's just like a laser clarity. Mm. You know, I'm not in, it's quiet. And there's one voice And it's speaking very clearly. (laughs) Do You know what I mean? Yes, not 10, you know. (laughs) I also will notice um, my heart, you know. So when I'm in fear, my chest's very closed, very tight. Sometimes maybe even my shoulders are a little hunched. When I'm in love, I feel much more open and expansive. And I notice that my heart in particular feels open and my energy is more relaxed more receptive to whatever is going on. And so over time, finding and figuring out that those are my cues, you know, has been a tremendous, tremendous support to me. And so I'm giving you all some of my examples, Dave, maybe kind of, then you can check in for yourself about what happens. You know, I know some people, palms, sweaty, mm-hmm. stomach churning or twirling. Sometimes their lower back gets tight. Those are all things, you know, that are telling us in terms of just our animal instincts that something's up yeah
0: learning how to pay attention to those things it's like you say it's paying attention because I think we're so used to just not (laughs) sadly it's um I was saying it's like you grow up and we've been taught how to think but not how to feel which I think is the saddest thing ever really because we are such feeling creatures you know as much as many people try to push it away with whether it's alcohol, drugs, overworking, you know, you name it, we'd love to yeah. numb out our pain, but we, we, we can't. We're, we're completely the most emotional creatures on the planet for a reason, really.
1: Yeah. I want to just underscore what you're saying, because I think our relationship to pain is profound in, in everything that you're naming in terms of how much we want to run from sensation Uh, I was yesterday moving around the house and I was having really severe lower back pain, tail of my spine, which I was like, okay, first chakra conversation going on. I was like, okay, that's about belonging. What's going on? what's, What's happening? And... My first, of course, inclination was, let me put the creams on and the oils and the, you know, the therapeutic, vegan, (laughs) natural, homeopathic, blah, blah, blah. Y'all know who y'all are. (laughs) Um, And then I was, I went and sat on my front deck in meditation. Spirit was said, like, feel the pain. Allow the pain. But this is part of the healing work is actually to let the pain in and allow it to have its way and move. And so yesterday, literally, my day was allowing myself to just be in pain and not judge it, not try to run from it, not try to fix it. And it was fascinating the way that that part of my body then began to talk to me about what was going on. And... I experienced, even in the midst of the pain, this profound sense of gratitude that this was an opportunity to work through something that was very old and very deep. Mm. And if I gave myself the room and the space to allow this to work itself through, that I would be healing something fundamental to the core of my being.
0: And I was like, okay. Yeah. It's like, it, it's just about being courageous enough to give yourself that space, right? Because it's it's not easy, you know, and that's not what what I was what attempting to say, you know, like, oh, it's so easy, just sit with it and carry on with your day. You know, it's, it takes courage, right, to really actually sit with those feelings, but it's, it's a courage worth having for, you know, so many reasons and yeah. the peace we get um, eventually after that. I mean, what does... What did, you know, I love the word peace. And I think it's, again, another word that people can have some funny connotations to. So what do you believe? What does peace mean to you? Yeah.
1: For me, the, the peace really is the absence of disease and distress in my being. That's different than in life or in circumstances. <laughs> Yeah. Or even in my body, because I will tell you, <laughs> there were some serious things going on in my body. But my being, my being was aligned. My being was at peace. Like this, this wants to happen. This is good for me. This is, there's something in here where, where there is medicine for my soul and my spirit, right? And so, you know, it's interesting because When I used to be in fear and I wanted to move to a place of love or I used to be in distress and I wanted to move to a place of calm or quiet, I started to cultivate these three phrases that were really, really helpful for me. The first one was that there is nothing you need to do right now. And I feel myself upset or afraid or concerned or in survival mode, whatever was going on. It's like, there's nothing you need to do right now. Mm -hmm. That was the first one. I was kind of like, so I could feel feel myself take that kind of that first breath. And then the second phrase was, you are safe. You are safe. Because often when we're in fear, something's being activated from the past. It's never, unless we're facing a saber-toothed tiger, y'all, <laughs> right? Which it happens, listen, I feel you. But I'm just saying, if it's not the saber-toothed tiger drooling on your, your, your kids <laughs> or your Converse sneakers, this often triggered by something in the past. So telling your body, your nervous system, your being, uh, you're safe. So I say to myself, you're safe. And then the third thing I would say to myself is, it is okay to feel whatever you are feeling. Inviting and allowing the emotional body and the wisdom of the emotional body to move. And I think, just to your point, uh, our societal condition of avoiding, suppressing, moving, sedating around our emotions uh, hinders us from building a capacity to actually work with a whole other form of intelligence.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that you say that. I think it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. It is. It's like just the, the you know, putting um, logic even over intuition for however many past years that, you know, modern 21st century has. And I truly believe, like you're saying, your senses, your emotional being, your Intuition, your spiritual being, when your intuition is the greatest gift we have. You know, it's
1: 100%. And this is all, you know, old paradigm power. This is part of the challenge of old paradigm power is that we've been flattened. I'm going to say it, y'all. We've been flattened. Mm. You know, we've gone from being five dimensional or maybe even nine dimensional to being one dimensional. And that's part of what we're reclaiming, I think, every single day we're reclaiming our right to have all of the facets and aspects of who we are live and co-create and exist and create that alchemy that unique alchemy
0: that is only us yeah, yeah. It's, so when you you talk about flattening and stuff and I think that's a good that's a good word but the you obviously work with change makers in the world and you are one yourself I mean, If the sort of we've been flattened, what do you think is the greatest change the world needs to see these days?
1: Yeah, I think it is the, you know, and and change makers, we all are, right? If we say yes, I think it's the coming home to ourselves. I think it is the re-embodying of the truth of who we are whether we call it the return to Dharma, whether we call it the going within or the sitting in silence or the soul reclamation, you all, we got so many names for it. For the healing, right? Of the trauma. Um, we have so many different names for it, but, the, but it's the, it is the coming home to our sense of self. That is the most traumatic change that we can facilitate and be fostering in the world right now, because Then when we put our hands on traditional forms of power and we start to pull those levers and those mechanisms, love will be present, compassion will be present, empathy will be present, perspective will be present, a commitment to the whole will be present, right? Mm. And what we have right now, unfortunately, is a lot of disembodied leadership pulling levers, you have the puppet shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? On the name of, in on behalf of. And, you know, we, we watch sometimes in awe of just how outside of our nature is. You know what I mean? In terms of our essence. And yet at the same time, we grapple with the fact that this is these are some of the choices we're making. And that this is a part of the nature that has been cultivated, right? and we we're our work is to reconcile that our work is to realign that within ourselves first and foremost and then to be the opening for that to be realigned in the relationships and the ecosystems and sphere of influence that we have
0: in every part of our lives Mm -hmm. i love that so yeah well talking about the essence then um I'd move on to the spirituality side. So before I ask you what that really means to you, obviously you're someone who outwardly is, you know, a spiritual leader. And um, it's, you know, incredible to sort of hear hear the way you talk in that sense. So was that always a part of your life? Did you grow up believing in, you know, something greater in God? Or was that something that came along later in life for you? I was raised by a Southern Baptist
1: woman. (laughs) You know, and and so God has always been up in here, you know, and I I do want to also just say culturally, though it's not always the case, but culturally and and from the legacy with which I come, right, meaning from slavery and that experience, there has been a deep connection always to spirit, you know, outside of even what's been indoctrinated. You know, we can argue sort of organized religion and indoctrination and colonization, there's a lot in there, but this connection and deep essence and sense of spirit is something that has always been present for me in the ways in which my um, family and my community, my immediate community has shown up. Mm -hmm. However, what I will also say is that it's taken on different shape and form and meaning for me as I've gotten older, and I've really found my own path, and I've drawn on the wisdom of many disciplines and various fields and geographies. And, you know, and I really believe and I say to my beloveds all the time, there are a million ways to get to to God or source or love or creativity, whatever you want to call it. There's a million ways to get there. Like there's a million ways to come home to yourself. And what's most always important and has been important for me has been the honoring of the sacred relationship. However I define it, of that which I believe is sourcing me, whatever name I give it in any given time, that there's an honoring of that sacred relationship, not just in my 4 a.m. morning meditation, but in this conversation with you and I, mm-hmm. when I go to talk to a team member or serve a client or support a collaborator in a challenge that they're having, that that sacred relationship is always present and at the center and guiding and leading whatever is occurring yeah is that what spirituality means to you then yeah yeah I think it's the practice of acknowledging the truth that I am connected to the source Mm. you know the all providing energy and that I always get to choose love and compassion no matter what's going on
0: yeah I love that you say um you you know take from different bits as your journey like has evolved and you know later that's literally what happened to me I think I grew up in a Christian family my mom's more Christian was practicing more Christianity than my dad did but you know Christian school and then it kind of just pushed me one way too far I was like I don't I don't want to sort of sit in church and have to recite stuff and I was like this doesn't feel as authentic to me um as to what I then went on to explore myself and grasp from so many different angles like you say and I I have nothing against religion for any of you who are listening who are following a particular religion but it's just I truly believe it's about finding what that means for you and not just reciting something like a parrot just because someone else has told you that's how it is or how you should pray or you should do certain things Uh, yeah (laughs) yes I mean I really think
1: that when we when we really embrace the magic and the mystery that surrounds all of us, I mean, we will be able to find the divine in a three-year-old eating an ice cream cone. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I want you all to imagine that, you know, just the way it's on their mouth and on their fingers and they're just, you know, and they're a hundred percent present to the cone experience. You know what I mean? And nothing else is mattering for them. And there's, There's beauty in that, like unspeakable beauty in that permission to just be, you know, and I come back to that source, you know, that sense of self that I think so many of us get robbed Mm at at a very, very young age, that really all we really want to do at the beginning and middle and end of the day is just be. Just be in the fullness of who we are and the trusting that if we can get there, we can Live there, we can hang out there, we can stay there, visit there often enough. I think great things will happen through us, to us, for us and
0: because of us. Mm-hmm. I like that phrase that I love, but you know, God works through us as us, and I just think that's such a nice thing. You see that in the actions of others that like change your day in some way, or some small thing that you do that changes someone's day that you didn't think was going to just because it was a smile (laughs) those kind of things it's uh it's so true i i love that all right it's been so wonderful talking to you so before you go i have one final question what do you believe helps make us unstressable
1: Mm. our commitment to being in the practice of finding home and in the sacred solitude of ourselves like just our commitment to that practice Mm. really has the potential to make us unstressable we honor it we show up for it we stay devoted to
0: it ourselves and it yeah I love that oh thank you so much it's been so wonderful speaking to you and hearing everything you've had to say I'm sure everyone will have gotten so much out of it and I will definitely and you know, put all your details and in, in the show notes in your book and everyone can find find more of all the amazing gifts you have to give so thank you so much
1: uh, Alice thank you for your incredible work it's my joy to have been here and spent this time with you
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode with the amazing Ra goddess if you'd like to find Ra's work you can head to the show notes and look at where you can find her as well as her incredible book which I really do recommend reading If you did enjoy the episode, then please share it in your stories on social media, tag us, and let us know. We would love to hear from you. I'll see you next time with another incredible guest to help you to become unstressable. Stay tuned.